Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D Brown CEO. Joining me on this episode is Ron Davis. Ron is the CEO and president of the Jordan Davis Foundation. Ron, welcome to the program. Thank you, D. Thank you for having me. Man, and the pleasure is all mine. So I want to jump right into it because we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, but I want to just set the stage by just learning a little bit about your early years, where you grew up and what your early life was like. Uh, I was born and bred in, as I say, bred in uh, New York. I was born in Harlem, New York, you know, at the time when there was a lot of struggle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was born in 1953. And then I uh, we moved to uh, Los Angeles, California for six years. And uh, when they had the 1965 riots in Los Angeles, uh, the next year in 66, we decided to move back to New York. And at that point, I lived in Queens and grew up in Queens, New York. And... Uh, it was a fun time. Uh, it was about music, you know, growing up as a teenager. And I wish a lot of the teenagers today can experience what I experienced in the 60s, because that's when Motown had just come out. And instead of getting tr in trouble on the streets, I was really into the music. And, you know, I was always listening to the new acts that were coming out at that time. So what was high school like? What were some of the challenges you faced as a youth there in uh, New York as well as in uh, California? Well, in 1968, I was in high school, and that's when Martin Luther King was killed. And uh, that was a troubling time in high school because the same friends that we had in Ozone Park, Queens, uh, became enemies, so to speak. And, you know, you had a lot of friends of all nationalities, Italians, Jewish friends. And when Martin Luther King was killed, I, I always remember that all of a sudden the people that we go to lunch with, that we had fun with, we played basketball with, all of a sudden, we're all fighting each other, yeah. you know? And I don't think as, as as teenagers, we really understood why we were fighting each other, you know, just because, um, as they say, leader became, you know, was murdered. And so um, uh, those were something that I, I couldn't get my head around as a teenager. But, you know, I'm glad that uh, a lot of the people in, in America understand what Dr. King was fighting for, what he was fighting about. Right. So talk to me about just transition from high school. Uh, what was your next step in, uh, in life? My next step was it was funny. I had a girlfriend and, and she she smoked and I didn't smoke. And I would always get on about smoking. And she'd ask me for a, uh, a match. And I said, well, I don't smoke. And so there was a match, uh, a book of matches on the ground. So she picked up the book of matches on the ground. And when she opened up the book of matches, you know, inside they had little messages inside the book of matches. And it said, would you like an airline career called 1-800 and whatever the number was? Yeah. And so she gave it to me. She said, you're talking about, you know, an airline career because I lived uh, about two blocks from John F. Kennedy Airport off of the Van Wick Expressway in New York. And I used to always see these planes coming over my house. I was right off the runway. And I always wondered uh, when I saw the lights in the windows where these people were coming from and where they were going to. And I said to myself as a, as a young teen, I always want to go to those countries, no matter where they are, just to go and yeah. find out where they were coming from. And so when I got the opportunity from that matchbook to dial that number, I did. And it was an airline school. And uh, they said that if you uh, went to Kansas City, Missouri for the whole summer that we will try to place you with an airline. So I went to airline school and out of the class of about 60 students, 
I was like, I had the third highest score. And so they placed me and I had my choice at the time of going with uh, American, excuse me, uh, Delta Airlines, National Airlines at the time, and Eastern Airlines at the time. And and just God put his uh, hand on my shoulder and said, pick Delta, because out of those three airlines, the only one that exists today is Delta Airlines. Right. You know, Eastern uh, went out of business right away, and, uh, and also National went out of business. And so I was really blessed. I felt I was blessed that I picked De- uh, Delta Airlines. And I have a 33-year uh, career at Delta Airlines. I started in 1973, and I ended my career in 2006. And I was able to travel all over the world, and that afforded me something that I would have never been able to pay for, that uh, at the age of 20, I was in Brussels, Belgium, just to be there, you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, that was just a great time of my life. So talk to me about just, you know, family. So uh, when did you uh, have kids, meet your your ex-wife, I think now? Uh, Talk to me about that. Yeah, I um, my my mother and father they were both uh, World War II veterans. My mother was a WAC; she was a nurse in the Women's Army Corps, and uh, my father was in Germany. And uh, it, so they kind of told me about the world. And um, my brother actually went into the Air Force and made a career, twenty six year career in the Air Force. And um, I decided as I was in the airline that I would continue to travel. I think I went to about the total now over 30 countries now. But my uh, Jordan's mother was a flight attendant with Delta. And so I'm sitting there and I met her actually on the plane. And, we, you know, we're giving each other the eye and, and all that good stuff. And, uh, and we actually uh, started dating and we went out for a year before we, we got married. And... Uh, Jordan, actually, you know, we didn't think that we would have a child because the doctors told her that she uh, wasn't able to have children. But lo and behold, she kept getting pregnant and she had quite a few miscarriages, about two or three. And she even had a fetal demise where you have to also, uh, even though the baby is, is dead inside of you, you have to continue to carry the baby for another two months before, you know, you can extract the child. And so we named that child Lucian. You know, and I was there through the whole process, and it was a very troubling time for me and her. Yeah. But uh, as miracles have it, uh, we met a specialist that turned her uterine wall around, and we had Jordan, and uh, she had bed rest the whole nine months. And uh, so we considered him our miracle baby. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why we felt so strongly about him. And uh, we... Uh, we named him Jordan after the River Jordan in the Bible. Yeah. Strong River, all kind of things that you would mention in the Bible that were happening at the River Jordan. And also at the time in 1995, Michael Jordan was doing his thing, too. So yeah. it was an easy name for us to pick. Right. So yeah. uh, obviously having had some challenges with uh, childbirth, uh, what do you remember about the, the day that Jordan was born? I remember uh, I was in the in the room because uh, it was a cesarean, so I knew when it was going to happen. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I was the first one to kiss my child and to see my child to come out. And I, I watched the whole thing. I didn't think I could stand up to it. You know, as a man, we think we can stand up to <laughs> a lot of things. But yeah. 
when it comes to childbirth, and we're watching it, you know, yeah. live. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to stand up to that, and I did, you know. And 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 when he came out, and they they wiped him off. I was the first one to kiss him, and actually, when he passed away, I was the last one to kiss him while he was still Jordan. So uh, those are the memories that I have. I remember him. We bringing him to my mother, his grandmother, and to her mother, you know, his grandmother on the maternal side, and um, how happy they were yeah. to see a grandson. And so those are the happiest days of my life. And uh, we lived at the time in Georgia, in uh, Villa Rica, Georgia, which is about 45 minutes uh, west of Atlanta. And um, we built a house out there and had a, had a room for him and everything. And and I, I just, when I look back on it, it is, uh, sometimes you don't know the best of times until you look back on your life, and that was the best of my times. Right. So just tell us about Jordan as a, as a child. What was he like growing up uh, as a kid? Uh, as a kid, he was, he was very loving. I mean, you know, he would slobber kiss you, as I call it. Mm-hmm. As a kid growing up, he, he, you know, he, he always had a, like a, a lot of uh, juicy mouth, you know, lips, <laughs> and he would just slob on you and laugh at you when you try to wipe it off and everything as a kid growing up, and he liked doing that. Um, he liked, uh, I remember going out when it first had a really good snow in, in Georgia, and I took him out, and I know, I remember we take we took pictures of him in his little snowsuit, and the first time that he ever tasted snow, you know, we let him pick it up off the ground, and he tasted it, and he didn't know what to make of it. He thought it was ice cream, I guess. And the one thing that I remember there is that he, he didn't realize that the snow that was left on his hand, even though the snow in his mouth tastes good, that snow that was left on his hand started stinging because you know, it started freezing his, his fingers up. Right. And all of a sudden he looked at me and just started crying, and I knew what that was, and I just started putting his hand in my mouth so to warm his <laughs> fingers up and everything, and then he stopped crying. So... Man, you know, D, you bringing out some really some times I hadn't talked about in a long time. Yeah, yeah, that that was good times. And and uh, then me, him, and um, Lucy did some traveling uh, to, to, to you know to Nassau, Bahamas, with him, and also to Cancun, Mexico. We went on a on a uh, to Mexico for a jazz festival, and uh, just to watch him react to the music that was being played. As a matter of fact. You know, he would tell you one of the first songs that he liked was one by the Gap Band with Charlie Wilson. You know, they were playing live at the pool at one of the hotels. And I remember yeah. Charlie Wilson and then were playing. He just really loved that music. He started dancing to that music. He was probably about three years old at the time. So around 1998. And uh, it was so happy that I ended up meeting Charlie later on in life and, and talked to him about that. Uh, and he probably didn't remember, but that's okay. But he was very cordial and nice, you know. Yeah. And um, we um, we wanted to make sure that Jordan had a well-rounded uh, friends, you know, in the neighborhood. And so he had friends of all different nationalities. And we made sure of that because with us both being travelers, you know, we had a, a good uh, rounded circle of friends and yeah. so that's what we enjoy so did jordan uh play sports or uh, participate in any type of extra uh, curricular activities yes we had him uh, he played sports uh he played uh 
on the Winston uh, uh, little little Pony League team. And uh, he was uh, first he was a pitcher, and then he became the outfielder. He liked pitching better because he was center of attention. Right. But then when they put him in the outfield and left and left field. He didn't like that so much, you know. He would, and I was saying, Jordan, pay attention, pay attention. You know, he said, oh, you know, because he's out there. Maybe the ball will come out once or twice in left field. So, but you know, pitching, you're always the star. So, but he was very fast on the bases. I mean, he'll turn a single to a double and a double to a triple, and you know, he's very, very fast. You know, he always wanted to race me, and he didn't realize that my legs are longer than his. So right. you, you're not going to be, even though the old man had some age, you know, but. Um, he was he was a good ball player. He was a very good baseball player. Made his team all star, all star team. Uh, he wanted to play basketball because he started getting taller, but he could rebound and he could uh, run fast. But he had a funny shot. He just really couldn't make his shot as as well as he would like to. So I think his best sport was was that we put him in swimming, and he was actually uh, a great swimmer, much better than me. And I'm you know I, I scuba dive. I've been a diver for quite a number of years. And uh, but he was a great swimmer, and I used to take him to Jacksonville Beach once we moved to Jacksonville. And um, he really, really loved the beach in Jacksonville. And our favorite place was right near the pier. And so uh, the place there will always hold a special meaning for me because uh, my father, about four months before he passed away, came to live with me in Jordan. And so I was pushing him in a wheelchair. He had bone cancer. And I pushed him, and my father hadn't been to the beach in about 30 years. And he, at the time, he was living in Alabama. And so when he came up to live with us in Jacksonville, Florida, I pushed him right in our favorite spot on the beach, uh, right by the pier. And so we had three generations there right by the pier, and I always remember that. And uh, so I always remember that um, that is going to hold a special place for me, where I can think about my dad and think about my son right next to the pier in Jacksonville right. Beach. So I know that uh, you know, Jordan was, the, was your miracle, uh, miracle baby. And on, uh, if I have my facts together, November 23rd, uh, 2012, something happened that would change uh, your life forever. Uh, walk us through that, that day. Not just the incident, but the events leading up to that, that incident that day. Yeah, the uh, leading up to that day actually was the 22nd. A actually, you know, I'm going to start about two months before that, maybe a month in October, a month before that. Uh, Jordan was sitting out on the patio of our home, and it was in the middle of the night. It had to be at least midnight. And I heard him out there crying. So I, I got my clothes on, came downstairs. And and I went on the patio and we were sitting there and I was asking why he was crying. And he said, Dad, he said, I'm not going to make it. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I just I feel in my bones. I'm just not going to make it. Now, I thought he was talking about a few months before that when he was in, at school. Him and his friends were behind the high school. And these grown uh, 25, 26 year old guys came up to him and his friends and they pointed a gun at Jordan and his friends and said, give me what you have. And these kids didn't have anything but about maybe between the three of them, $30. And he took one of them's cell phone. And, but the gun was pointed at each one of them 
their heads. And that shook Jordan up. You know, of course, I reported to the police and they did nothing. You know, they said these guys have been going around to different schools robbing these school kids. And they never came back with anything. This took a case case number. But I thought that he was talking about, you know, for the fact that he had a gun pointed to his head and it scared him. But that wasn't what he was talking about. He just said, I just feel that something bad is going to happen to me, Dad. And I just don't feel I'm going to make it. And I cried with him and I hugged him. I said, no, I said, you know, you got me and your mother here. We'll fight for you to the end of the earth. And I said, you have family around you. We all love you. You're going to make it. Don't, don't feel that way. And so, you know, I, I talked to him and stayed out there with him, talking to him and brought him back in the house. And everything was OK at that point. But I never forgot that conversation. And then in October, in, um, in November, the day before of the 23rd, which was the 22nd of November, it was Thanksgiving that year in 2012. And Thanksgiving, I remember Jordan coming downstairs and he was just on the phone, constantly calling all of his friends. And that was unusual because he didn't do a lot of calling. He talked to his girlfriend, maybe, and that's about it. But he was calling everybody. And he just wanted to talk to his all his friend Aaron Johnson was one of his best friends, and Leland Brunson was his best friend, and just just kept talking to everybody. And then later on that evening, when we had people over and we were having Thanksgiving, he said, "Dad, I want to say the prayer." Now, in all of the years that he's been on this earth, not only did he not want to say the prayer, but if you asked him to say it, he would say something funny instead of really being serious about the prayer. So, I, you know, I just kind of stopped asking him to do it. I, I know he didn't want to do it, but he asked me, to, that, can he do it? And so um, I said, yes. And he started praying for the family and started praying. And it was a serious prayer. And he started talking about how, you know, all of his friends and how much they meant to him and all his family and how much they meant to him. And by the time he got through with the prayer, everybody was stunned, you know, and, and it was smiling and we all hugged him and everything. And so... My 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 wife uh, at that point was Carolina, and she uh, her mother was there from Mexico, and we, we all hugged hugged him. And so the next morning, uh, she was going back to Mexico, you know, my mother in law. And so um, Jordan woke up early; it was like six o'clock in the morning. And normally he doesn't even get up till about nine or ten if he if he doesn't have to go to school, and. He wanted her to kiss him goodbye, and she kissed him goodbye, and she prayed for him, and then she left early that morning, and then he went back to bed. So I thought that was unusual. And so later on that day, I was going to work. I was working part-time at that point at the Hilton Corporation for the Hampton Suites, Hotel Suites, and I had to be at work. And so about 2.30 that afternoon, he came to me, and he said, Dad, he says, I'm going to the mall out of town center, he said, you know, I just need a little money to go to the mall. So I gave him some money and I hugged him and I told him, you know, make sure you're back home by, you know, time I get back home that evening. And that was actually not, you know, not knowing it at the time was going to be the last time I hugged and the last time that I saw my son alive on this earth. And, uh, you know, they went to the mall, the town center mall and his girlfriend was working at the mall. He got to see her and talk to her. And as they were coming back, that's when they stopped at the Gates gas station. And so what happened from there? 
at the Gates gas station, the driver, it was him and Tommy and 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 his best friend Leland was in the back. And, and Tevin Thompson was in the front seat with, with, with Tommy. And and so Tommy goes in to get some gum uh, in the convenience store at the gas station. The kids are, are playing their music loud. You know, they're playing their rap music, you know. And uh, I believe they're playing Chief Keith. And uh, one car drives up, hears the loud music and pulls into another spot. Another car drives up, which is the car that Michael Dunn and his fiance are in, and they drive right next to Jordan, the car that Jordan is in, the SUV. And Michael Dunn's girlfriend gets out the car. She goes into the convenience store to get some, some wine because they're going to go back to the hotel. Now, they were just in Jacksonville visiting because his son, who he was estranged from, he hadn't seen his son but three times in 15 years, even though he only lives three hours away from his son. They, his son invited him to the wedding. So, he had, so Michael Dunn had just come back from his son's wedding. And I guess the music in the car irritated him. So he rolls his window down and he hollers at the kids in the car to turn down their music. And the music is so loud they barely hear him. So they turn to look at him and he's like, his window's down. He's screaming at them, turn your, your music down. And so Kevin turns the music down and George said, we don't need to turn our music down. Who is he? You know, we're in a parking lot in a convenience store. He can't tell us what to do. And Jordan turns the music. He reaches over the seat, turns the music because Jordan is in the back. Him and him and uh, him and his best friend. And so Leland is is just sitting there, and the guy just going crazy, just talking loud. And so the guy rolls his window back up. And decide because the music is back on again that he's going to roll his window down again and start screaming at the boys. And at this time, Jordan had enough of him. Jordan is screaming back through the window. Now, keep in mind, Jordan's window is only halfway down and it, there's child locks on the door. So he's not getting out of the car. And the cars are real close where if you got out of your car, you would have to hit the other car. That's how close Michael Dunn parked to their car. And so Michael Dunn sees um, Tommy get up, come out the store with the gum and, and starting to get in the car to drive away. And that, that D, that always bothers me because Michael Dunn knew that these kids within 20 seconds were not going to be there. He's getting ready to drive away. Right. But he had so much hate. And so much racism in him because he's a white 46-year-old guy. And he had so much hate for these kids that he reaches in his glove compartment, pulls out a gun that's in a holster, takes it out of the holster, pulls back the, the, the slide, rolls his window all the way down. And as Tommy's getting back into the car, he shoots at the time, he shoots six bullets into the car at the time. And the kids are in panic mode now. And they pull away, they back away, and then they drive out of the gas station. He jumped, Michael Dunn jumps out of his car, gets down on one knee, 
and shoots four more bullets into the fleeing vehicle, vehicle trying to kill all the kids in that in that vehicle. Ten shots all together. Wow. And when they see out the mirror that Michael Dunn's fiance came back into the car and they drove away, the kids turned right around, never left the parking area. They were in the same vicinity and came back for help because Jordan had gotten hit. And he had got hit by at least two bullets. And Michael Dunn drove away, never called 911. Even though there was a police nearby who had pulled someone over for a traffic stop. So there could have been a police there right away. And when Leland uh, hollered to the driver that Jordan had been hit and Jordan was laying in his lap, and they called 911, and Jordan lay there. And, and he just didn't make it. He just didn't make it. He was DOA, you know, at the hospital when he came in. And um, that was the worst day and continues to be the worst day of my life that Leland's mother, he called his mother, and his mother, Tanya, contacted me at work and didn't know that Jordan had passed away. She said Jordan had been shot, and then I had to drive to the hospital. And I received the news once I got to the hospital that Jordan had died. And uh, and I, I wanted to see him and I went in to see him. And it was an out-of-body experience. I just continued to continue to cry. I continued to want to know why. I saw, and they told me not to touch the body, but I ignored the police. I ignored everybody in there and I grabbed my son and I hugged him and I saw a little blood on his nose. And I talked to him while he was there, laying there with his with a sheet over him, over his, his torso. Hey, Ron. And um, Ron, listen. I wanna, I wanna continue this conversation. We're gonna have to do uh, another uh, part two to this because we're out of time for this episode. Uh, so I want to hold you right there, okay. and then we'll we'll come back with the part two. Uh, to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D Brown, CEO, and remember, without you, there's no me.